Welcome to Useful Idiots. Welcome to Useful Idiots. Happy um, New Year. Happy New Year. Don't take this the wrong way. I'm, I'm kind of sad to see you because I had a, kind hey, of a great vacation. I mean, I'm I'm always sad to see you, but now that you <laughs> said it out loud, I feel I'm liberated to see you because I can say that. Yeah. I'm just kidding. It's great yeah. to be back. It's great to be back. High five. Wow. That wasn't even awkward. It wasn't awkward. You're getting there. Okay, yeah. excellent. So did you have a good Christmas I did, vacation? Yeah. I did. It's okay. I'm a Christmas tree Jew. So okay, I was going to say. Yeah. Yeah, I was, yeah. 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 I did. I had a great one. Spent time with friends and family. Some wearing of Santa hats. In fact, excellent. I'll try to I did that throw too. In a, a photo. Yeah, you did? Yeah, well, I'm Santa at home, so yeah. Oh. Yeah. Well, we centralize the Santa role, so all of us wear Santas. Anyway, we have a great show. Yes. We got Nina, Senator Nina, Nina Turner coming Marie, on. Yes. Senator Nina Turner yes. coming on. Senator Nina Turner of uh, Ohio. A lot of content. I went out to New Hampshire, ran into some uh, some friends of show wow, uh, on the campaign trail. Uh, ran into Andrew Yang, uh, another surprise campaign figure. I got, got some photos from great. there. Uh, talked to Tulsi Gabbard, some other folks. So it was really interesting. Great. Yeah. Awesome. And we've got obviously a big week in the news, but we'll get to all we'll of that. We'll get to all of that. Yeah. Right. Should we start with the four food groups? We should. We groups? should. Okay. Yeah. Let's start with a good old Republican suck. Great. So we have a classic Republican. I'm always happy when this guy comes around. Ari Fleischer. Love Ari Fleischer. Love Ari Fleischer. He honestly looks, he's like so unctuous looking. He is unctuous. Right? Isn't that a great use of the word? He's like, one of the most unctuous. He's so unctuous. Yeah. His middle name should be Ari. Ari Unctuous <laughs> Fleischer. Before I explain why he should be living underground and afraid to ever show his face, uh-huh. which we'll get to, let's just uh, take a look at what he had to say about um, the assassination of Soleimani. You know, I just remember when Osama bin Laden was killed. And all Americans came together and cheered that event where the military was able to carry that action out. And I hope the same thing happens here with the death of uh, Soleimani. He is the world's leading terrorist. He's been active with Hezbollah, with Hamas, within Yemen. And as Carl pointed out, he has blood on his hands from the killing of more than 600 Americans in Iraq. The other really important thing, though, Jason, to keep your eye on in terms of what comes next are the streets of Iran. You know, the Iranian people have been leading a revolution, a rebellion against their government, knowing what a dictatorship it is. It is one of the youngest, most pro-Western people throughout the Middle East, the Persian community in Iran. And I am very curious to see if they're going to celebrate this as well. Because you know, many of those protests have said, end the Iranian aggression in other nations. Stop spending our Iranian money on these wars abroad, supporting other supporting terrorists. So I think it is entirely possible that this is going to be a catalyst inside Iran where the people celebrate this killing of Soleimani and puts pressure on the Iranian government to stop its terrorism, to stop supporting all the various terrorist movements it has around the world. First yeah. of all, that's great in itself. Well, this is a flashback to the yeah. Bush years. Fact, Remember, they were, yeah. we were going to be welcomed as, as liberators. liberators going, yeah, yeah and so that couple, was him. So, that was yeah. him, right. So yeah. he's on message, right? right? I mean, now a couple of points. One is I like, you notice he says Iranian people. He, he almost says re- regime because he's just used to saying that. Right. He's used to vilifying countries by calling their governments regimes, mm-hmm. which is something that, like, the U.S. the U.S. does. They call... The countries that they don't like, they call their governments regimes. Right. And he also, I mean, the fact that this guy, after selling the war in Iraq, has any credibility whatsoever is just disgusting. And I think there's no question that the Iraqi people want to have a better way of life and they would welcome a change in their own country. And I think that that's the context in which this should be considered. Um, but well, what differentiates him from... Anyone else? Any yeah, other exactly. No, it's true. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what differentiates him. We're going to get to that in a second. Okay. But another thing I want to point out is that it's interesting, his critique, he basically says that 
Iranians don't want their government to be funding, uh, like fighting wars abroad and supporting terrorists abroad, which is exactly what like the U.S. did right. with his help. So it's funny to hear him make a kind of anti-imperialist argument that, of course, he doesn't apply to the United States. Yeah, and he also makes a, an amazing anti-prediction because the, it turns out there were lots of people on the streets in Iran after this, but they came out for another purpose entirely, which yeah, we can get to we'll in get a little a bit. Yeah. You asked what makes him different from others, as we ask on Passover, what makes tonight different from every other night. Right. So what makes Ari Fleischer uh, different from any, every other lying neocon? After September 11th, having been hit once, how could we take a chance that Saddam might not strike again? After September 11th, having been hit once, how could we take the chance that Saddam might not strike again? Well, because clearly he did it the first time. Yeah. Yeah. This is in 2009 that he said this. Right. And, of course, Chris Matthews, in his genius, who's, who's trying to take on, he's trying to own Ari Fleischer, he totally misses this point. Right. Like, that's such a Matthews move. He's fighting with him, and he totally misses the fact that he just claimed that Saddam Hussein was behind 9-11, because Matthews is going to Matthews. That was, of course, years after Bush had already admitted that this wasn't controversial. Like, Bush had publicly said Saddam Hussein had nothing to do with 9-11. So that's, uh, yeah, that's our shit-eating grin uh, provider, and, of course, he's totally wrong, and he should be living underground, and... He's like a pathological, I mean, he's, his lies are, are that much worse. Like, it, it takes a lot to stand out as a neocon, bushy liar. Why is it that, all, that when we have Republicans suck, it, it's almost always some kind of nostalgia kick for the Bush years? Like, we're having trouble, you know, connecting with modern era oh, sucking Republicans. Oh, well, you know why? You know, a part of it is, what? is that if you watch MSNBC, it's nonstop Bushies. Right, that's true. That they have like a rehab program, yeah. a reintegration program for Republicans where yeah. they get to work for MSNBC or appear on MSNBC. It's, it's just a joke. I mean, this guy was totally wrong about Iraq, and now he wants us to believe that he's going to be right about Iran. To be fair, he is a good predictor if you just take the opposite of what he says. Right. Right. So he says like Iraq was going to be a cakewalk. It wasn't. Uh, now he's saying that Iranians are going to be happy about the assassination of one of their most beloved figures. And guess what? He's wrong. Yeah. No, that's yeah, the, the delusion on that score is, is, is pretty high. Yeah. And uh, it's interesting because the there were protests uh, in the streets uh, after this this event. And I heard today from an Al Jazeera reporter uh, in Anza that it was uh, over a million people. It was in the millions yeah. of people who came out, uh, which is interesting. You can't see that cited in any American news report. You, you might see a little bit referenced in like AFP right. uh, or Al Jazeera, but yeah. it's not... Um, maybe Democracy Now! I but think yeah, I think they actually, similar to the Iraq thing, they actually believed a little bit. Yeah, uh, that, right, that, that, that they would go... I, see, I, that's always... that. that We have to have a segment called Ignorant or Disingenuous. I think it's both, but it's I, both, I think yeah. there's a little bit of the, the I, actual Yeah, I think belief, Trump yeah. really... I don't think they understood like who this guy was and how beloved he was. Right. And the fact that this was a great move in terms of unifying Iranian sentiment against the United States. I mean, it really brought people together. Um, this guy was incredibly loved, beloved. He's considered like one of the major reasons that ISIS hasn't succeeded in Iran. And I'm just going to say this. Ready? Okay. Isn't that, let's have a thing called Isn't That Controversial? Okay. Handsome guy. Very He's handsome? handsome. No one said that. Not Fleischer, Soleimani. Are there any other uh, authoritarian figures you find handsome? This one we may have to leave on the cutting room floor, but okay. I'm going to say something. Okay. The following person, he's not handsome. Ahmadinejad? No, but I like him. <laughs> okay. we, I love that guy's tweets. In fact, I was looking for his tweets. I don't know if he's been tweeting. He wasn't right when it happened, right when the assassination happened. He was watching the NFL playoffs. Was so, he? Yeah. Or like a Fred Hampton documentary? Something like that, yeah. Um, this guy isn't handsome, but he has nice eyes. Okay. Who's an awful person? 
who has nice eyes. Someone we Ted really Bundy? hate. I don't know who. Osama bin Laden. Osama bin Laden. He has nice person eyes. He is tall too. No, He's but like this. Six, six. Was he? Yeah, yeah. No, he has. He, he, he looks. It's been really a disturbing. Good he could have played basketball player. with you in Mongolia. Yeah. Uh, you know how they say that uh, if Hitler had been an artist, maybe no Holocaust. Well, if Osama bin Laden had been. A basketball player in Mongolia, maybe no 9-11. Yeah, could have been, everything could have been different. Democrats suck. I just, it's going to be Biden basically every week until he's out of the race. So I feel bad, but he, he just, he had a bunch of moments. Or near attendant, to be fair. Could be or near attendant, yeah. that's true. But uh, he, he had a bunch of them in the last week or so. I was out in the trail and I saw um, a couple of, I didn't see him, but I, his reflection was everywhere because the other candidates were talking about oh, nice. stuff that he said. He made a context mistake where he would basically said our, our, our culture is European, which got uh, misunderstood by everybody. He was actually talking about our system of law and how it it actually what he what he was saying is that it, it, it actually works against women. Uh, so he was actually saying something woke, but it but it turned into it turned into a thing where he was criticized. Where it seemed like he was praising colonialism. Yeah, or? it sounded like a, twi- a Trumpian thing, but oh, that wasn't man. so bad. What he, but but in Derry, New Hampshire, he was telling people basically that uh, you know if you don't have a job or if you're having trouble adjusting to the economy, like deal with it. And he said, basically coal miners need to learn how to code. And uh, if anybody, if you can throw coal into a furnace, you can learn to program for God's sake. He loves those. Yeah. I love that. He's always got the exclamation. I know for the love of God, anybody who can go down 3000 feet in a mine can sure as hell learn to program as well. Anybody who can throw coal into a furnace can learn how to program for God's sake. Yeah. I like we should make a movie called uh, Cole Coder's Daughter. Cole Coder's Daughter. Right? Yeah. That'd be good. I like it. I yeah. like it. But this is just classic. It's it's just I, I pick it because it's kind of typical sort of post uh, you know DLC uh, era right. Democrats where you know the original bargain of NAFTA was things are going to suck for a while, so we're right. going to retrain you to for better work because the job you had right. probably isn't going to exist anymore. But then they really didn't do that. And now, right, like, like you know, 20, about this yeah, yeah, exactly. So that, Yang, yeah. Yang actually, I saw him in, uh, in Concord. And, but the night before he had been in Keene, New Hampshire, and he, he basically ripped uh, Biden. And he said this. Let them do the kind of work that they actually want to do instead of saying to a group of people that you all need to become coders. Like, what is that about? You know, Maybe Americans don't all want to learn to code, you know? This is a little off message for Biden, because I feel like Biden's, sh- like, lane, I was going to say shtick, but Biden's shtick lane is kind of, like, not, is, is hiding his DLC-ishness. Like, he's the middle class. He gets it, you know? He doesn't like coding. Yeah, he's he's he knows Scranton it. Joe. Yeah, Scranton Joe, yeah. yeah. exactly. So this is funny for him to do. But, the, again, the thing that's great about Biden is he has, he has a style but not the content. He's not limited by content. He'll say whatever. No. Also, if you just sit around and wait, he'll eventually make the mistake. You're guessing that he will. Yeah, yeah exactly. So just a question he, of time. Yeah, exactly. So that happened. That was Democrat suck. So what do we have for? Um, isn't that uh, oh terrible? Oh my God! Isn't that terrible? We have a very tragic story. So first of all, isn't that terrible? You already know that uh, something terrible is happening in Australia. Yes. Major fires. Heard about that? Yeah, bushfires killing um, people, killing millions of animals. Among said animals that are being killed, kangaroos which is upsetting, but the really heart-wrenching one, do you know? Koalas? Koalas. We, uh, the proverbial we, the human collective, did save a, uh, a, a baby koala. It was so touching. Uh, wow. He almost died. You, there's a before and after of a singed koala. Um, who Isn't gets the larger de-singed. narrative that the, basically the earth is going to be extinct? That is, but honestly, you get, 
if you want people to care about that, you do it through koala visuals. I see. I think personally. Okay, so oh we'll God, get there the to scream, the whole. The, the first one who didn't make it. There's a video of him like scream, like screaming, and you think it's good because the happy ending because this woman saves him, but then he wound up dying. But okay, kangaroos. I have seen a lot of of like kangaroo corpse photos. Have you seen any of those? I have not. No. It's gross. It's terrible. Really. Luckily, I haven't seen any any koala corpses because I don't know if I could take that. Not that I'm pro kangaroo death. Kangaroo, so- kangaroo aside. You're not saying that you'd rather see k- k- koala, uh, kangaroo corpses. Well, if we're going to do a Sophie's Choice about it, <laughs> then yeah, I would. But Sophie's I'd rather not see either choice. Sophie's kangaroo. Cho- Sophie's kangaroo choice. Yeah. <laughs> Sophie's marsupial choice. Right. right? Yeah. They're marsupials. marsupials. Yeah, yeah. So okay, that's already terrible, right? Yeah. Now on top of that, terrible. Uh-huh. Twenty-four people have been charged with intentionally setting wildfires in Australia. So that's worse to me. Yeah. Than, yeah. Than the koalas. Yeah. Well, they're on. I mean, you can't de-link them. They're separated. They're right. not separable. They're they're connected. The question is, you know. It's, so somebody saw this in the news, went out and said, "I'm going to go set a fire." Yeah, I guess so. I mean, which that's actually good. Speaking of Sophie's choice, which is worse, climate change or intentional arson? Climate change. That's worse, as in it's like a bigger problem. It's a bigger problem. Right. Also, it's it's it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's another human choice down it the is, line eventually. It is, and in some ways it's worse because it's not seen as horrific as this. Right. Like, this is such an obvious choice. I've got animal corpses too. In your basement? No, in, your uh, in Isn't That Weird. This was one of the the writing in this story. It's just a tip. It's like a, just a basic news story. It's always Florida. Fly, yeah, my father actually once said that, that there would be no television magazine shows if, if it wasn't for uh, Texas and Florida. So what we should do is, isn't that terrible? Isn't that weird? Republicans suck. Democrats suck. Isn't that Florida? And isn't that Texas? <laughs> isn't that Florida? We're isn't that Texas? Faces, well, this is definitely Florida. The he- wait, let me see the headline. Florida vacation home invaded by vomiting vultures. And they have a pool, they have a barbecue, you know, they live a luxury, they're trying to live a luxurious lifestyle. Yeah, so this, this story uh, is just fantastic. It's an AP story. Basically, it's about this family in... Uh, a New York couple. A New York couple luxurious that family. has a $702,000 house that they cannot enjoy because they're just turkey vultures keep descending upon their home and just keep eating stuff and leaving carrion all over the place. Uh, and it says, Siobhan Casamano described the smell as, quote, like a thousand rotting corpses. And then apparently the, the tur- turkey vultures get caught in the pool area and can't escape. And the quote is, imagine 20 vultures trapped biting each other, and they can bite through bones, she said. Uh, they would bang away against my windows, running away from a bird that was attacking them. Blood was everywhere. It was a vile, vicious, traumatic event. People have suggested scaring the vultures off with fireworks or balloons. Um, a newspaper quoted an expert as saying that killing a vulture, having it stuffed, and hanging it in a prominent place would work because vultures avoid their own dead. Oh, yeah, so they should do that. <laughs> they should have pinatas. That's a lesson pinatas. to the others, right? Yeah. But you know what? I, I'm just reading. But Kat said she found out from the U.S. Wildlife Service that it's hard to get a federal permit to kill the protected bird. <laughs> Ostrich, I mean, vultures are protected? Uh, turkey vultures, I guess, yeah. But guys... There's an isn't that terrible within this isn't that weird. Since she has chronic lymphocytic leukemia, which leaves her vulnerable to infections, she's had to be extra careful going outside, even having someone power wash the patio twice. Why did I laugh at that? That was terrible. Uh, you laughed at it because it's like it's unbelievably terrible. You weren't laughing at her at her medical. I was condition. laughing at the horribleness yeah, of the it. The horror of it. It gets worse. Kat said she even tried putting out four fake owls that have moving heads and blinking lights. 
Quote, the vultures chewed the owls apart, she said. They ripped the heads off. Well, at least they're not real owls. That could be worse, right? I know, but it's so funny. There's a culprit also, by the way. I have owls like that. I have an uh-huh. owl. I don't know how it works. I have it outside my, my, on my air conditioning. Right. So that pigeons don't come because I got a lot of pigeons. Uh-huh. In fact, once I left my some windows open, I came back to my apartment. And there was a pigeon in my kitchen. Yikes! Yeah, kind of cute that. that one though. The, the homeowners blame Katz's neighbor, a woman whom they claim is uh, excessively feeding wildlife. Katz said she has seen the neighbor give bags of dog food and even a roasted chicken to the vultures. That's wrong. Don't give roasted chicken to vultures. <laughs> That's right. No, definitely not. I want to go down and live among these people for a while. I think this would be Wear a great Wear a hazmat thing. suit. Yeah. You can just feel how much the uh, the non-bylined author of this news story enjoyed writing this story. I know. I, I remember this period of, of my, my life when I was just starting as a reporter. I got a sign once in, uh, when I was working for the Moscow Times to cover a story about a guy who got arrested for sending uh, his mother's head to his teacher through the mail uh, in high school. He got arrested for that? Yeah, exactly. You can't actually get arrested for that in Russia, believe it or not. Anyway, that's the four food groups for this week. Yeah, pretty good, huh? By the way, we have our four basic food groups. Yes. Now, listeners and viewers may remember that uh, once we did have uh, a category introduced called an Isn't That Bailey category right? with the Liz Holio moment. Um, well, we have an Isn't That Bailey again and this literally is, wow, isn't that ballet? And uh, listeners, you're not going to know, but viewers will see this. There's a photo of Matt Taibbi, our own Matt Taibbi, in a little newsy hat, right. uh, standing, squatting next to <laughs> Bailey. what looks like Bailey. It, it, is it Bailey? Is it, isn't it Bailey? Is it Bailey? So tell us, how did this unfold? Is that so, a cutout of Bailey? Is that a balloon? No, it's actual. It's an actual that dog, is, right? It is actually it's not Bailey. stuffed. It's a live dog. It was moving around. Yeah, no, this, okay. is, this, was in, uh, this was in Concord, New Hampshire. And uh, Elizabeth Warren had a, had a town hall. At the convention center, and afterwards, I was on my way out, and they had a so all the candidates. This is an interesting thing. The candidates all do selfie lines now at the end of uh, their events. So while uh, Warren was doing hers, I, I went outside, and there was a selfie line for the dog. So people were lining up, and, and it was isn't really that Bailey. Selfie line. Yeah, and I felt obviously horrendously guilty because we've ripped on the dog in the show, kinda. In, in, uh, we've so. given him credit for being very cute. I don't think that's it, true. It, we've ripped on the exploitation of the dog. Right, and then we're now I'm going to exploit the dog too. You're a dog al- You're a Bailey ally, so I think it's okay. Okay, yeah. Well, I still felt guilty. Yeah. I kind of. Well, you're Catholic. Yeah, I so. pretended to to you know, just want to meet the dog because it was a cute, and I was a fan of Elizabeth Warren, which you know isn't necessarily. Oh right, little did they know you would call her Liz Holio. Yeah, I mean, and, I was an evil member of the press, which right. is always a thing. So, but I'm not the only person on the show. Who's who's been in uh, in a photograph with Bailey? Who's had an isn't that Bailey moment? Isn't that Bailey moment? We have our our, our producer Dan. Oh my God! No, also this. has a picture now. Now this is chemistry. How did Dan? How did you arrange this? Did you give him a treat? Did you train him to do this? Did you kidnap him? Is he at the, is he at yeah, your house right now? Yeah, is he at right the studio now? right now? Wow, he looks like a very proud dog in that one. Oh, now he's like enough. But let's have this debate. Are both of these pictures actually Bailey? In other words. Is, is there a Bailey body double? Is there a Bailey body double, or, or did they send Bailey to Korea to, to be cloned? Oh, like Dolly. Right? Do they have multiple do- uh, Baileys? Is there like a Mary Kate and Ashley Bailey? Are there could be twin like, Baileys? Those dogs don't look the same hue to me. Well, they could tan- it could tan. That's true. Do dogs yeah. change? I guess or length, different length. But that look, that one looks stuffed. I don't. Is Dan really? I mean, can we corroborate? Where are there any witnesses? I'm convinced this was the real Bailey. 
I did a video with Senator Warren the end of December. It was part of our uh, Rolling Stone cover for January, our photo shoot up there, and she brought the dog. Really friendly. I couldn't resist taking at least three or four selfies four, with yeah. the dog. That's so cute. He's um, really cute. So I think dog. it's the real one. Wait, I mean, but you're just accepting the premise. I just want to clarify. You're not you questioning that it's that there's more than one. I like that. I just want people to know you're taking a bold position. Well, it's just a question that I don't know how we can answer it. So, you know, right. it's like, You're, am right. I accepting it as truth? I don't really know, but I think it's certainly a possibility. I think that if that is the case, I still met the real one. Got it. And I did have a piece of evidence I was saying before we started taping, which was that the dog that I met was pretty rambunctious. And right. I don't think would have had the patience to For sit and line. really stay put in a selfie line for multiple hours and meeting a lot of people. This dog was pretty well behaved, I have to say. What is it with Massachusetts uh, politicians and dogs? You know, oh, Mitt, Mitt Romney, Romney right? and yeah. Seamus, right. the defecating dog. Yeah. Everyone knows this, right? He literally put, I don't know if this is a Mormon thing, tough love Mormon style thing, because they have so many wives they travel with, they're used to putting Yeah, they the need, do- they need the, the room. They need the room? Yeah. Sorry, problematic, but whatever. Uh, everyone, pro- maybe people don't know this, but Mitt Romney, they drove from like Canada to Vermont or something or Canada, to Massachusetts. It was a long ride and they put their dog Seamus on the top of the car right. and it shat. Well, I would too. I, I would mean, too yeah, in yeah, protest. Yeah, yeah. It's not nerves. I, I would have made a political statement. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so what I bring that up because maybe this dog, maybe they gave it some kind of... Um, like a, a down, like a tranquilizer. Yeah, just gave it some, you know, I don't know, NyQuil or something yeah. like that to chill it out. The other, the other thing is, you know, maybe, maybe they came to the event and, I mean, what do you do if you if if you want to have a selfie line, you don't have your action, can, can you rent a golden retriever anywhere oh, in the country? right, maybe, right. Where do you go to rent a Bailey? Rent a Bailey. I think the other thing we should bring up is that uh, readers have begun to make uh, designs for Liz Holio. Yeah. Uh, can we see a couple yeah. of those? Yeah, this was because you tweeted... Um, Oh, wine caves I mean, matter. you tweeted wine caves matter. And so I retweeted that and asked people for, you know, various images of that. So we have one of those. And then people uh, made images for other things related to the show. So we have a Liz Holio. We have two Liz Holio shirts. Yeah. Those are great. Um, we have a, a wine cave image. I like this one because it's they, they didn't just do the straight Beavis thing. They, they kind of did Warren's face and right. hair. Yeah. Is that a What is she carrying? Gavel? That's oh, a selfie stick. That's oh, great. That's, yeah, that's, that's great. That's really good. I love it. I love it. She had an enormous selfie line. She talks about that like it's really like political so, uh, organizing and stuff. I, I was chatting with a photographer at the... At, we might as well just do the campaign stuff now. Yeah. There was a, uh, a photographer there who uh, was basically saying that he's begun to try to capture the moment where the the candidate looks up at the selfie line and realizes with dismay how long it is. Oh. This is like a new campaign journalism yeah. tradition, so I thought that was pretty funny. Because the, the, uh, Yang did it, and Warren... So it's like Warren, a sp- they look up and they're... Yeah, because when they're done with their speech, right. you know, they're tired, right? Yeah. Like, this is a very tiring thing, running for president. When you're done with your speech, you just want to get out of there and go, right. like, relax for a few minutes. But now, at the end of the speech... You look up and there's like a line going all the way to the back of, you know, yeah. and and the, there's a thing that passes over their faces just for a right. fleeting second. It's, right, it's, of it's, doom and, and despair. Yeah, it's but pretty you, interesting. You know what's worse than a really long selfie line? 
what no selfie line at all that's or a short true. one then that's, that's like a permanent look of it's yeah. over yeah i haven't seen that yet that would be interesting yeah that would be interesting yeah, yeah. i wonder if bailey gets a look in his eyes bailey bailey had a pretty good selfie line i, had to I know say. but what if he's like oh, i really don't want to right yeah exactly now. he even I mean, he has that thought other thing with the wine cave yeah uh so it was really interesting watching the the warren thing and i thought maybe we could talk about this because sure, yeah. I, I find this interesting the, the press was they loved her last year like she could there was a moment where the entire press right. corps was sort of bought into the idea that she was going to be the the, the nominee right. and then suddenly like in the in the fall there was like this collective decision like that this was she right. was not going to be the as person. you said they had identity she was identity politics for journalists right yeah elizabeth exactly warren, as but you quoted someone else saying yeah. yeah there was a friend from another campaign was saying that yeah. elizabeth warren is identity politics for journalists but she um either this thing happened in in november where she she kind of tiptoed away from medicare for all yeah. and normally like you know campaign reporters what do they care about medicare for all like they're not like progressives, liberals for the most part, you know, they they right. they normally don't particularly They're normally like, where are you gonna get the money? Yeah, they, exactly. Yeah. That's where they so would go stupid, with that, yeah. right? Suddenly it became this matter of extreme importance that she she was no longer like behind Medicare for all. And then then they started giving her a hard time about it. Then when she backed off of it, they gave her a hard time about that. And right. then to reestablish her her progressive credentials, she attacks Buttigieg right. in the debate, right? right? Goes after the wine cave thing. Right. And then there was backlash right. for that. So by the time I got to New Hampshire, the reporters were all uh, ganging up on her. Uh, and basically, there, there was a gaggle after the event. And first of all, the gaggle, and I'll show you the picture. The, the, um, they, they were crowding on top of her. Sometimes these things get really aggressive. And one of the, one of the reporters, um, he asked her to sort of double down on the wine cave thing. And and she wouldn't do it. She's like, you know, I, all she would say is sort of, I don't sell access. Right. And the, the headline in Politico the next day about the entire event was Warren abandons wine cave offensive. So this to me is it's just yeah. like a perfect example of how campaign journalism right. works. Right? They like they invent a storyline, they throw it at right. you, and then when you don't react the right way, yeah. they like they you get a headline and yeah. And, and what was interesting was that with the Warren thing, first they said that they pretended that it was her being pro-Medicare for all that made her unpopular. Right, yeah. But other people looked at, and of course I'm biased because I'm for Medicare for all, but the people I trust were like, no, it was actually when she backed off of it. So right, people yeah, exactly. will see, it's like a Rorschach test, right? Yeah, you just people see will see what they want to yeah. see. Yeah, exactly. I don't dislike Elizabeth Warren at all, no. but I just think it's really weird, the 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 sort of changeable attitude yeah. of the press corps. On, and I think it's coming from, not from the reporters themselves, I think it's coming from donors mm. and political strategists, because you started seeing these stories about two months ago about how concerns exist within right. the party about, about right. you know, her viability as the... And that annoys me, because if you're going to change your attitude based on something that like somebody in the party tells you right. i think that, i don't think that's fair you know of course not how much of it is, of it is also like horse race politics where they have to have a story and so things have to shift yeah well not that's not donors and operatives too but well the, i mean the other thing about campaign journalism and and you saw this with um the biden and yang thing is the reporters love it when when the candidates go after each other yeah because it's an easy headline it's easy to write that story right so they they always enjoy it when you give the candidate an opportunity to give some other candidate shit about something right. and right. and they take the bait when you don't 
like the candidates, the, the reporters do get froggy about stuff like that, right. you know, and right. they and that comes out. And that's also not fair, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's so crazy that the campaign goes on for 12 months. And then what sometimes just a random little thing like this because of the mood of a bunch of reporters, um, you know, about a particular issue can can sink a, a campaign. Yeah. You know, she's she's kind of behind now. And uh, who knows? Yeah, it's very weird and disconcerting to actually see people covering Sanders. Yeah, no, we're going to talk about that with with uh, Senator Turner, but that's a weird change. Absolutely, and you know, some of that was because of the the fundraising statistics that came out. Yeah. Uh, and weirdly enough, that's one of the things that that's this is the first time I think that the horse race people who who you know for whom all this stuff is a religion, who's going to win, you know, yeah. and it's not until Sanders came out with these fundraising numbers, which were insane. He had 900,000 individual donations in in December, 40,000 in the last day, $34.5 million for the quarter, which was like 10 million more than than the next person. What that basically means is even if he doesn't do well in the first couple of months, uh, the first couple of of votes, he's going to stay in it. Like that, that, that's what the money really does. And, and that, that can actually change the thinking. I think a little bit of conventional wisdom, you started to see stories that he can actually win. I know what's new. going on. Yeah, it's right? like, wow, you're actually saying the truth. That's weird. Yeah. I'm not used to, I mean, it's usually kind of an inversion or some weird distortion, pathological distortion. But you've always said that it's better to be in second place because once totally. you're top, then they, they really go after you the most. So I wonder if that's part of it, too. They want to kind of put him out there as the Try front runner. Try to put him as the front runner, see so, if it'll knock yeah. him down a yeah. peg or two. Yeah, yeah. counterintuitive. Uh, did you see Bill Share's really interesting reach? No. Politico's Bill Share. He was like, the suggestion was that small donors are not as representative as as like the general population right as opposed have, to large they have, donors they have money to give i guess so because they're more educated or so he said as opposed to like the salt of the earth large donors right right the were, salt of the earth super packs yeah, it was yeah, such yeah, a, yeah. it's actually it lets i i'm almost thankful i'm almost grateful because it's such a, a a reach and it's you get to see inside the brain like how can we possibly spin this obviously positive thing and obviously kind of like grassrootsy thing as elitist or right. as something that's not yeah so yeah all right well we've been we've been gone a while so the campaign's yeah. been going on full bore last month before iowa new hampshire lots of stone moments lots of stone moments yeah right well there's a really great moment a stone moment i would say from joe biden um i okay. don't think we need to even i think we can just set it up just yep. let's just go to the videotape During the run-up to the passage of Obamacare, President Obama promised my father that if he likes his plan, he can keep his plan, and that his insurance will be cheaper. After passage, his plan was no longer allowed, and his insurance costs doubled. Since you supported the plan, were you lying to my dad, or did you not understand the bill you supported? The lying dog-faced pony shoulder. No, look, there's two ways people know when something is important. One, when it's so clear when it's passed that everybody understands it, and no one did understand Obamacare including the way it was rolled out, and the gentleman's right. He said you could keep your doctor if you wanted to, and you couldn't keep your doctor if you wanted to necessarily. He's dead right about that. I like this as a moment. It's like a moment of honesty, of, of stoned honesty, right? Don't yeah, people get... just blurt stuff out. Just blurt stuff out. But, and and this, Biden does do this, so it's almost not fair. A stone moment is almost... I think we've said this before. It's like a normal Biden moment is, a, is right. another yeah, person's he, stone he, moment. He needs... We have to, we we, have to the, adjust, put tightens, on the curve. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. I, I also love his, his drift. His drift is it, so good. It's excellent. He, if you've ever seen the old classic Nosferatu, yeah. he... he 
He's beginning to do the, oh, yeah. the, the shoulder thing is beginning to work. Then he says, you know, nobody understood Obamacare, which is just awesome. I know. I love, I love that. It's like, especially the way it was rolled out. Yeah. And, and basically he's saying, you know, I, w- I, w- I was high from 2008 to 2013. Right. So I don't remember. It was a big fucking deal. Remember that? Exactly. So that's that's a good one. That's I a like, good one, right? I like that. Yeah. It's endearing, too. Yeah. I wanted to nominate Michael Bloomberg since we haven't had a whole lot yeah, of Bloomberg on this yeah. show. This was great because they asked him about, there's like three things about this video that are funny. First, they, the, the question is, um, do you agree with the characterization of the Soleimani incident as an assassination? And this is his answer. Sir, this morning, Senator Sanders classified the killing of Soleimani as an assassination. Is that a terminology that you would agree with? Um, I don't know in the context that he said it, who he was talking about, but I think it's probably inappropriate. If he was talking about killing the general, was that what he was talking about? Uh, This is a guy who had an awful lot of American blood on his hands. I think that's an outrageous thing to say. Nobody that I know of would think that we did something wrong in getting the general. The question is, what did we do afterwards? But not that this guy was an enemy of America who killed Americans and we have a right and an obligation, I think, to go after him, and we did. What is the proper way to speak about his death? What is the proper verbiage? Yes. I don't know. I mean, get a dictionary and take your pick. The guy killed a bunch of Americans and we're going to worry about the language? I don't think so. There's so many things there, but one of them is that he clearly doesn't know the guy's name. Right. So he calls him the general. Right. Like general. he can't pronounce his name. Oh, I missed that. That's great. I like that he too. He doesn't say his that's name. No, that's kind of a stone thing too, right? Yeah. Kind of, yeah. You're just right? trying to deal. Yeah, exactly. Right? Like what's his name? The dude? Like yeah. the dude? The general? Yeah. The guy um, The guy with the, the, the shoulder and yeah, the epaulets. Yeah, the thing that got killed. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know what to call it. Like, get a dictionary. It's like cock. It's like a. It's like a, a super arrogant guy being stoned. Yeah. No. Like, that's that's what arrogant people must sound like when they're stoned. It's great. Also, it's an assassination. Yeah. Like, what? what it, you don't know. It's not it's necessarily not. a negative character. I mean, I, I mean, I think it's negative. Right. 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 But, sure. But, but it's a technical they, description. Yeah. They. It's not they, murder. They don't say murder. Right. That would be. Right. Yeah. That would be which more. It is, lo- but it's more charged. Than loaded. Assassination. But you, right. they sent a drone and they they killed somebody they were intending to kill. Right. And that's what it is, right? Right, I mean, and it are wasn't we... in a time of war, right? Yeah. It wasn't like... Well, not that we, you know, we, we do this constantly anyway. Right, but, I, right. but it's just, I think I found it interesting that this, suddenly there's all this like, uh, you, you know, concern over the use of this word. Like we don't do this all the time. It's just, right. like, it's bizarre. He, and wanted, it, he should have stopped. He would have, you know what Bloomberg would have done or would do as president to this, to Soleimani is a stop and frisk. <laughs> stop, stop and, and frisk. frisk. <laughs> you have a, you, they have an articulable suspicion that uh, yeah. Soleimani was about to commit a crime. Yeah. So they, they Lock yeah, him ac- up. actually, that's not even funny because that's actually part of the, the justification. They, they have a similar kind of thought process yeah. for when they use the uh, drone assassination to, uh, you know, it's sort of all in the eye of the beholder. So, right. and then, you know, the, the, the sh- his short temperedness with the, with the questioner is just, you oh. know, it's too early. He hasn't been in the campaign long enough to be that. I know that'd impatient. be that crotchety and yeah. he's so entitled. Um, yeah. Also like, since when is that 
that's an important distinction. This is not a semantics game. It's a distinct. It's like yeah, a. Just it's answer a legal the question. Con- yeah, geez, I know. And be interested in the question. I know. You know, I don't know. It's weird. One more. Uh, so we have something called uh, Chasten Appreciation Day. Is it Chasten or Chasten? Chasten. I don't know. All right. We'll we'll have to yeah. learn. Yeah, we're gonna have to learn. We're like, what we should call him is like the husband. You right. know how Bloomberg the, the, did the, the general, husband. the, yeah, husband. the so husband. So this is Pete Buttigieg's husband. Um, and on Twitter, there is uh, a little bit of a there's a hashtag that's trending on my Twitter, at least. And it's uh, chased in appreciation day or chastened appreciation day just shows a bunch of photos of of the of the husband with uh, the mayor. Oh, actually, two people. That's a powerful marriage because I can't pronounce either of their names. But, but that's right. Chasten yeah. and then Buttigieg, Buttigieg. That's why I call him Mayor Pete. So we're going to call him Mayor Pete and the husband. And the husband, right. Or we call him the mayor and the husband. Yeah, so some of them, there's some weird gifts of them where it looks like he's having kind of a seizure almost. But one of them is really weird and, and, and the husband is like petting um, ma- the it's mayor. Like a, it's like a barber thing, right? He, yeah, oh. there's a weird. Yeah, exactly. It looks like he's about to give him a, a shave. So is is this Almost is this like, meant to be an answer to the big structural? Belly? I feel like it is maybe. Big, so that's the hashtag. So that's odd. That's odd. But I mean, good thing Warren has Bailey because remember how bad her husband was at being a team player when she's having a beer. She's like, "You want a beer?" He's like, "Yeah." He's like, "No, no. thanks." Yeah, no thanks. I don't want you to be president. Yeah. 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 Yeah, this is an interesting one. Um, I don't know anything about this guy. What are we? I don't know anything about it. We'll, we'll 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 have to learn. Yeah. So well, this is how we learn. One. So should we talk a little about the campaign? Sure. I guess? Yeah. Um, you know, we're, we're getting down to the nitty gritty mm-hmm. of uh, you know the the Iowa's on the third, New Hampshire's on the eleventh, and it's crazy right now. Like we haven't had a situation like this ever. And I mean, maybe the Republican field last time was similar, but Trump was clearly winning at this point right. last year. This, there's complete chaos in the race on the Democratic side. And almost none of the hypotheticals, except oddly enough, Bernie winning, makes sense in terms of an early resolution to this race. Right. So you know, going around New Hampshire, there's just all kinds of things going on. Did you see Bernie there, by the way? I didn't see Bernie there. No, I, saw, I saw a bunch of other folks. Um, folks. I saw you. Yang, Buttigieg, I said, I said Mayor Pete, uh, Warren. Did you uh, see husband Booker. or just mayor? No, just mayor. Yeah, uh, probably doing some photo ops for this hashtag that Dan rolled. Perhaps, perhaps uh, off stage. Yeah, um, and then there's a secondary thing that's going on that's interesting around the the debates. So the January 14th debate, they they changed the criteria to get into the debate. And you have to have a sort of heightened poll results. You have to have either four polls at 5% or two polls at 7 in the early states. Um, and the only problem is they, there haven't been any qualifying polls since, like, Thanksgiving. Right. So the, the candidates who didn't qualify before have no way of qualifying uh, going right. forward. So it's they, like an air of, of democracy or an air of, uh, no, the DNC, of motion, the, movement. Yeah. So there's this whole subterranean thing that's not really being reported on a whole lot. Um, Booker. Uh, wrote a letter to the DNC basically saying, you know, what the hell, right? You know, you're going to have an all-white panel right. and you're not giving us an opportunity. Uh, Yang called them up and offered to pay to have polls done. And some of the other candidates protested. And just last week, at the end of the last week, the DNC released a, a statement basically saying, we're not going to commission any polls. Like, we, we sort of encourage 
the you know private polling agencies to do polls if they feel like it, but we're not going to make it happen. Mm. So it's basically like suck it. That's what right. they said to all these these folks. You know what they should have said to Cory Booker? <laughs> what should they have said? It's a dog eat dog world. <laughs> He's a funny guy. We have to get I know him. That. I liked his dog puns. Remember that? that yeah, was they great. were fantastic. He went the extra Pawsome? mile. Awesome. The combination of the pun and his New York accent, uh, New York, New Jersey accent is great. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. No, that was fantastic. So the Iran happened while, while I was there and immediately there was a huge, um, almost all the candidates put out essentially the same statement. They said, they said, we, you know, Trump didn't think this through. Right. It was poorly planned. Right. They should have notified Congress, but there were only really two candidates who came out and said, we just shouldn't be in the Middle East. And that was? Tulsi and and Sanders. Right, St. Bernard. It's just curious. I'm just curious to to know what you think. Like, will this have a a tangible impact on the campaign? Because traditionally, like, the Democratic voters, there's been a lot of history in terms of attitudes towards war right. and how it affects the the, the the presidential campaign, especially in New Hampshire. Right. Go back to 1968, you know, the McCarthy, LBJ thing. Like, it's one place where the divisions within the within the Democratic right. Party are, are kind of pronounced. So uh, and, it was interesting. And to be fair, Warren gave two different statements, right? Right, kind yeah. Of evolved which is, on that. Yeah. Um, or devolved, depending on how you look at it. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think that Sanders, this is one of the areas where Sanders and Tulsi really do stand out um, from the rest of the field. And I think it's good. I mean, I think it's good. I think it's, you know, a major contrast point for Sanders with Biden. Right. Um, because yeah, of because Biden. they've been hammering Biden's support of the Iraq right. war. Biden can't seem to keep straight when he was for the Iraq exactly, war. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I think that, yeah, I think people are, are sick of I, I think this is one of these like kind of postpartisan things that people on both sides of the not politicians, but normal people who are on both sides of the aisle. There's a lot of anti-war sentiment. There's a lot of we don't want to be messing over there. We don't want to be assassinating people over there. Right. But that's you see that on the Republican side, too. Like I ran into Republicans. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Oh, you're saying like it's not just in the populace. It's also yeah. among politicians. Yeah, that is true. That is something that's and it's weird. We're at this moment where, as Ro, Ro Khanna said this when I interviewed him, I was like, are you shocked by how hawkish some Dems are? He's like, I mean, half the Democratic Party voted for the Iraq war. So, right. No, I think it's good. And there's also there's the other issue, which is that the the authorization to use military force, which is what the you know provides the authority for right. any. So, so Trump did a thing that was kind of little commented on last year. He declared, he designated the entire Iraqi Revolutionary Guard a terrorist organization. So under the the 2001 law that Bush passed, the AUMF, the authorization mm-hmm. to use military force, that allows them to kind of unilaterally attack anybody who's designated a terrorist. You don't have to go to Congress. You don't have to get war declared. So by doing that designation, they don't have to go to Congress right. anymore. Right. And a lot nice of Democrats voted for that bill. And it's a terrible bill. Like it, they, it should have told a long time ago, like we're no longer, we're using it you know, in all these places where we're going after nation states right. instead of terrorist organizations. And uh, only a couple of candidates are, are going there. You know, you talk to Rohana. There's, you know, he introduced. You the, sound like Amy Goodman. Rohana. Rohana. Like the, <laughs> talk the about the guy, the congressman. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, they introduced an, an amendment to try to force, you know, the president to go back to Congress and right. declare war, and that was taken out. Um, apparently in conference, I mm. talked to, t- to Gabbard about this last week, and she's like, you know, I don't know who did it. Was it the Democrats or Republicans? A real whodunit. Yeah, it'll be kind of interesting to find out what, if that comes out, mm. because, 
you know, people are shaking their fists about this, but it, it's possible that, you know, both parties were in on that. Is that a case of wagging the dog? In what way? I just want oh, to... Oh, you just want to get another dog put in yeah. there? Yeah. <laughs> wagging the dog is a war thing, though, isn't it? It is, yeah. yeah. That's like when you create the pretext to... Oh, yeah, God, okay. Right, yeah. yeah. Which happened a little bit in this yeah, case. Yeah, there right? you go, right, yeah. So... It's also good because it, it is a popping the bubble of, or, you know, the shattering the myth that, that Trump is inherently... Uh, anti-interventionist. I mean, he 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 gives good. He he knows how to speak like he is. And in some ways, the Dems are more hawkish. But this is a reminder. He's not. You know, he's not a peacenik. He's not. A, no, he's he's not. No. I, I should I should cop to this. I have written in the past that I I firmly believe that Trump, you know, is either because he senses it's a political loser right. for him or whatever, that he's not particularly stoked about having generals right. living in his White House and going going to full blown right. war. Um, but I, you know, this well, could I think be a... it's true. I think both things can be true. Mm-hmm. I think that it's like it actually makes more sense in the, a weird way. This is like a it's like a petty vindic. It comes off as like a really inappropriate assassination as opposed to a total. But it, the consequences as opposed who knows to those decorous, yeah, 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 kind of. You know what yeah. I mean? Like a decorous, like but uh, totally unjustifiable war. Right. Like with Bush in Iraq, like it was, t- it was. Even though it was a to- based on total a lie, it seemed formal. It seemed to go through the right formal cha- channels. And we saw some Dems were upset about that part of it, right? It kind of does, it is the larger Trumpian thing, which is the issue for, for so many people is the decorum as opposed to the actual content. Right. Um, but I don't think we're being Trump defenders by saying that he's both hot-headed and um, dehumanizing. I mean, I'll admit and I was surprised by this move. Yeah. I didn't, I, you know, I, I, Trump's... Political instincts on this sure. sort of suggested something else, but they, yeah, that he taps into isolationism and. But you know, and, and and Gabbard talked about this too. If you look at the progression of the policies in the, in the last couple of years, it's really been designed to kind of box Iran in and create a problem. You know, yeah. whether it was the AUMF thing or arming right. Saudi Arabia right, yeah. or the sanctions. Uh, or right. whatever it is, you, you know, inevitably you're going to get a conflict out of this if you just keep uh, applying all this pressure. Right. So that it, and Trump it, is a big Saudi fan. Absolutely. So that's yeah. a conflict there. Yeah. Right. It's just interesting. And then, you know, if you look, look at the Democratic race in general, it, it, it's just I was just blown away by how much of a zoo it is right now. Like, you know, it could be it could really be anybody. There's never been like this. Who would you bet on right now? Bernie. Okay. Right. Yeah. I mean, I'm trying to separate my heart from my head. Right. I mean, I've always said this, and now it's a little bit weaker than than the past. My feeling, which is that it would be easier for him to win the general than the primary. Mm-hmm. Now, for the first time, I'm sense I'm feeling that maybe people are like, um, maybe he'll win the primary. Or maybe people are. I think people are afraid of Biden. I think some people who like Biden's politics mm-hmm. are afraid that he's just too demented. Right. Um, and I think people don't think Warren's he's as electable. Like a little bit demented is a okay. Little, yeah, 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 yeah. He's over the, yeah, he's, he's gone too far. Right. I don't know. What do you think? If you look at it, you know, Mayor Pete, again, the, the black and Latino vote thing, it just, you just can't see how it works right. past Iowa and New Hampshire. Like it, it would have to stop at Super Tuesday right. or, or South Carolina. So you don't see how that works. Biden, you just can't imagine Biden winning. Warren is having trouble right yeah. now. And so I don't, you know, I don't know. It's weird. I, I guess we should talk a little bit about Iran too. Like this has potential to be like the worst thing in history. And it could, this could be, you know, for all the things that Trump has, has done that are, are not good, this, this is, 
easily has the, the you know th- this could be the worst bite like yeah. a lot you right. know uh, like this, this could is, be war and it would be it, it wouldn't be it wouldn't be Iraq it wouldn't be you know invading and taking the rest of the day off for beer and volleyball like we did in 2000 and right. this would be a long protracted horrible thing it's a huge country huge death toll and you know ri- a rich right. relatively rich armed organized country right. yeah this is this is a disaster what should we do about it get out of there i mean i you know, of course we're not going to i mean the, the, it's unfortunate that this isn't going to prompt the, the larger question about what the hell we're doing there and you know so as a quick aside by the way um this guy, the general, wasn't just an infamous terrorist organizer. This is called the Washington Post. I call him an infamous handsome man, handsome general. Um, he was also one of the presidents pre- of President. I'm not co-signing the handsome thing. I know thing. this is all me. Yeah. He was also one of President Trump's social media antagonists. Um, international experts have long known of Soleimani as the leader of Iran's elite Quds force and the shadow commander is that the of, meme army? Yeah, of proxy conflicts across the Middle East. But many Americans first heard of the general in 2018 when he started arguing with Trump via memes on Instagram. Fantastic. Yeah. Uh, the, the Trump administration was, enga- was engaged that year in a pressure campaign against Iran, whose president, Hassan Rouhani, warned in July that America would know that peace with Iran is the mother of all peace and war with Iran is the mother of all wars. This was relatively mild for a theocratic regime, whose founding Ayatollah uh, Ruhollah Khomeini dubbed the United States the Great Satan. But Trump took particular offense to Iranian President Rouhani, and then it's all caps, never ever threaten the United States again or you will suffer consequences the likes of which few throughout history have ever suffered before. So that was Trump? Trump? T- yeah, Trump tweeted that. <laughs> and then a few days later, Soleimani stepped in to defend Rouhani. It is not in our president's dignity to respond to you. If you begin the war, we will end the war. You know that this war will destroy all that you possess. So this could be, this could literally be the first act of Twitter war? He was unusually internet savvy. The same month, Soleimani shared with his nearly 70,000 Instagram followers an image of the White House exploding. (laughs) Um, And the poster appeared to have been taken from the 2013 film Olympus Has Fallen and doctored so that Soleimani stands in front of the inferno with a walkie-talkie in his hand. And then there was Donald Trump tweeted, um, this back and forth took shape after Trump withdrew from a three-year-old nuclear deal with Iran. And as he threatened new economic penalties on the country. In his own Hollywood riff in November 2018, Trump tweeted a poster of himself posing heroically against a Game of Thrones-style background and play on the show's Winter's Coming tagline, Sanctions Are Coming. (laughs) Um, And then so Soleimani tweeted, I will stand against you. All right. So that happened. We should should get into that. We should follow that whole meme thing because that's that's interesting. Follow that meme. Um, Just quickly, some housekeeping. uh, We saw a bunch of friends of show in in, uh, New Hampshire. And Andrew Yang had a message for anybody who, who doesn't want to listen to Useful Idiots that this is, there are going to be consequences if he's president. Listen to the Useful Idiots podcast or uh, Yang drone will hover outside of your window <laughs> and then deliver this message in a robotic voice. Why haven't you listened to the Useful Idiots podcast? And then it will keep on bugging you with that until you do. Excellent. That's yeah, good. he was great. He was a good sport. And yeah. he was, uh, he's in good spirits on the campaign, and, and he's actually doing um, pretty well, yeah. I would say. So uh, that was interesting. Well, you know why. The, it's the Useful Idiots bump. Yeah. Yeah, fantastic. So very excited to be speaking very. to Nina Turner, 
who is a uh, former state senator of Ohio. She mm-hmm. had a really interesting bill, by the way, which tried to require people, men to get like permission. The from, impotence drug. Yeah, yeah, yeah right? Yeah, yeah. Like to have, uh, if you want Viagra, you had to get like affidavits from your past lovers or current lovers. It's great. It's like the first ironic yeah. bill. She was trying to like make an, a satirical point. About the abortion bills. Yeah, yeah she is um, an amazing speaker. She's the national co-chair of the Bernie Sanders for President uh, campaign. She's also a professor, um, and she's also very gifted with the spoken word, and she is feisty mm-hmm. in a very good way. Yeah. And actually, it's interesting to watch her and Sanders, because maybe we can ask them about this, but it's interesting to watch a woman who's like very much moved by, by her Christian faith and very much moved by a secular Jewish guy who is very much moved by social, they have the social justice stuff in common. Right. And they have some other stuff in common too. Well, lots of stuff in common. Right. But it's funny how they go. I mean, it's one of those things. And we've seen this a lot throughout history. There's like the black Jewish stuff too. That's often been, especially on the left. There's a lot of like a a nice, a rich history of uh, unity. She said euphemistically. Well, no, I'm talking about the good history. Oh, Oh, I'm not talking about Crown Heights stuff. I'm talking about, Good stuff. Right. I'm talking about like civil rights. Anyway, Nina Turner's great. Anyway, Nina Turner, yes. (laughs) Nina Turner's great. We're very excited to talk to her. And she does not take any any crap from anyone. Senator, obviously, we, we want to talk about the campaign, a lot of stuff that's going on today, but w- we figured we'd start a little bit with um, with your background. Yeah, uh, to, and a welcome, so, of course. And, and a welcome, of course. Well, thank th- thank, thanks for right. coming on. Just just to get people a sense of how you got into politics, like, how did you start with politics? You started uh, as a legislative aide in, in the early 2000s in Cleveland. Uh, how, how did that happen, if you could uh, give did, us some background? I did. You know, I never dreamed. Actually, I wanted to be a nurse or a teacher oh, when I that grew makes up. Sense. Uh, yeah, that's, that was my goal. I did make it to teaching, actually. I was a professor at Cuyahoga Community College in my home city of Cleveland, which brought me so much joy. And in many ways, I feel as though the the, the nation is my classroom now. How about that? Yeah. And in terms of just really, you know, having the opportunity to get a fellowship would really open my eyes to the power of the state government. But even before that, I was doing grassroots organizing with a hero and champion in the city of Cleveland who is now deceased, and her name is Fanny M. Lewis. She was a Cleveland City Councilwoman, one of the longest-serving councilwomen, I think the longest-serving councilwoman uh, in the country or in the city, and she represented a community called Huff. And there were some riots in Huff, you know, during the riot times. Huff was a, a very uh, volatile community in terms of race relations and things like that, and she really brought that neighborhood back. Uh, almost like the phoenix she brought she really brought it back and so i admired her so much that's really how i got my start is working with her watching her really serve the people she was born in the 1920s and so you know her orientation and all that she had to endure as a black woman in america was just all over her but she really taught me in ways not just by not by sitting me down but just being in her presence and watching how she dealt with the most vulnerable uh, people in a community really truly helped me so i never thought the day would come where i would actually uh, work for a state senator work for the mayor of the city of cleveland become a cleveland city councilwoman myself and then two years later go to the ohio senate so that's the cliff notes version of how i got here but it really started in the grassroots i remember so fondly mad and katie having a you know being a part of a group an organization called students for positive action how about that and we just <laughs> believe we were bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and we just happened to believe that if you can register people to vote 
and get them to go to the ballot box and take the power in their hands to determine their destinies, that things would change. How old fashioned is that? Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's it. That's pretty much how I got my start. And do you remember uh, like an aha moment that made you realize you wanted to work with Senator Sanders and be part of um, the movement that, that you are spearheading with him and with countless people? I think that moment, the, those ahas were being built in my life and I just didn't really realize it. You know, I really consider myself now and, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty, and I am a grown ass woman <laughs> at this point in my life. Really, my party affiliation is that of hell raising humanitarian. That's just it. Now, I'm taking I like that. Let's come on and yeah. join that party. But no, seriously, just being able to watch people like Councilwoman Lewis, being able to watch, you know, my former boss, Mayor Michael R. White, transform a city with sheer will. You know, they, there were jokes about Cleveland for a very long time. and He right. brought our city back. Being able to serve under State Senator Ryan McLean from the Dayton area as a fellow and then being able to run in my own city and then going to the Senate all along, I think I was being forged for this moment. So when 2015 came along, you know, I was going to do what every good Democrat was right. supposed to do, you know, just kind of go with the status quo, did not know in my wildest dreams that the senator who stood up in 2010 and filibustered for eight and a half hours against the extension of the Bush tax cuts, which was really my first entree into understanding who Senator Bernard Sanders was that he would come on the scene and just disrupt everything. Right. And I remember my husband saying to me, baby, this is your candidate when the senator announces, I just, <laughs> you know about this Bernard Sanders. No, he said Bernie Sanders. Right. You know, I call, I call him Senator Bernard for that extra emphasis. Y'all know yeah, I do yeah. that on the trail. Yeah, of course. And I said, yes, I'm familiar. He said, oh no, this is your candidate. And it wow. really, my consciousness was pier pierced, uh, pricked. Matt and Katie, it really was that I could no longer continue along the course that I was going to be on. And ironically, the senator, senator and I met behind, backstage, if you can believe this or not, at a Democratic event for women in 2015. He was one of the keynote speakers among the other presidential candidates. And here you got little old Senator Nina Turner in that lineup. And I spoke right before the senator. Baby, if that ain't laying it down, how it was going to be. Yeah, and right. behind, backstage, we passed one another. And he said to me, he said, I've been looking for you. Wow. And, and the rest is history. So here it is. He speaks after me quite often on this trail. Yeah, that's uh, great. But yeah. that was a very serendipitous. So it was just everything that he stands for. For me, like on a personal, personal level. And I'm so glad that you both asked me this question because I, I barely, I, I rarely get an opportunity to go deeper. For me, you know, to have the senator say that health care is a human right in this country my mother died at the young age of 42 years old. An aneurysm burst in her brain. I saw her that morning. And by that evening, you know, getting the message that my mother was in a coma in a hospital at the young age of 42 years old. Seven children. I'm the oldest of those seven. I was 22 years old at the time. My youngest sister is, was, was 12. And there's seven of us. And I'm married and I have a son. And to see my mother laying in that bed and to think about all that she had to endure as a poor working mama in this country who would relegate her just because of the color of her skin or her condition, you know, write her off. I thought about her when I made the decision to support the senator. And then myself being a first-generation college graduate and to have the senator say, it shouldn't matter who your mother and your father or your mama and your daddy are or are not or your grandparents, what zip code you come from, that parents and grandparents and caretakers in this country should be able to look into the eyes of their babies and say, you know what? I might not have a whole lot of money, but you, if you want to, you can go to college or you can go to a trade school. It was so hard. I was so consumed 
with the righteous indignation of his mission yes. that I could no longer stay on the course that I obviously was going to go on. Yeah. And so I supported Senator Bernard Sanders. And even though I caught all kinds of hell for it, I still catch hell for it this day by donut Twitter. Oh, my God. Uh, yeah. Thank you for that, though. Thank you Never for creating that. Yeah, that was, of course, a famous moment when um, Jeremy Fassler, a young white man who writes for the Daily Banter, uh, wrote, lectured you about the civil rights movement. Yes, yes, he did. That was where that was born from, because you you complained rightfully with your with the righteous indignation you just mentioned about how the Dems were trying to basically like placate the DNC was trying to placate you with with donuts and water and ignore you. And that was this was the genesis of the whole donut. Yes, that was the genesis of it. Yeah. yeah. And then. And then it was highlighted by this guy, Jeremy Fassler, who wrote about how he had gone to the Civil Rights Museum in Memphis. And so he told N- Senator Nina Turner about how she was disgracing her ancestors. Yes. Let it was unbelievable. Imagine it was, that. It was I'm being like lectured by art. a white man about my damn ancestors. Hello, somebody. <laughs> but that just shows the arrogance. And it's, 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 it's pretty sad, though, because you bring up a really good point. It's okay if people do stuff like that to a progressive black woman like me. It's okay. See, the the folks don't rise up and say, you know, I might not agree with S and T, but don't 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 roll on her like that. She is right. a black woman in America. It's follow black women, black women lead, or black women are the backbone of the Democratic Party. Unless you are a progressive black woman who supports right. Senator Bernard Sanders, then they can say whatever the hell they want to say to you. Right. And that's why I roll this way. First name Senator, last name Turner. I am going to demand and get my respect. Not just for myself, but all of my ancestors who were called boy and girl, even when they were grown under a corrupt, vicious system that relegated black folks to second, third, fourth and fifth class citizenship in this country. But to think that these hashtag woke folks I know. think it's OK, you know, for me, even if you agree with me. Sure. Yeah, of course. Agree. They're going to yeah, lecture you so, about civil rights history and your yeah. ancestors. Also, it's the listen to listen to black women unless they are to my left or unless they're progressive, in which case they're what? They're something, uh, then you're pathologized. I mean, it's so, the pseudo wokery, it's it's such a joke because it really is, you just see they're weaponizing this. It's sad, but you know, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and Minister Malcolm X warned black folks about white liberals. And folks can go and look that up. Yeah, You know, any day you'd rather deal with the person who's gonna be true to their nature because at least you know what you're getting. Right, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Has, in, in that sense, has this has this campaign been eye opening for you? I mean, particularly with regards to how the press has treated this campaign. I mean, even as a member of the media, it's been kind of surprising to me how how aggressive it's been towards you and Senator Sanders and this campaign generally. Now they're coming around to finally saying that that Bernie could win, but they're saying he could win, but it would be terrible. Uh, um, What's been your uh, reaction to the media coverage of of this campaign so far? Well, it's a sad commentary. Yes, the Bernie blackout is real. They're not blacking him out. They're maligning him. Right. And I want to really thank you guys for really standing up. That anti-Semitism makes my blood boil. (laughs) I mean, I'm glad. I know this is a family show, so I won't go past the word damn, but it really is a ridiculous in any kind of way, whether you agree with somebody or not, to allow people to come out and call the Jewish candidate a damn anti-Semite. It's just something sinister about that. So, Matt, your point is well taken. Either they're blacking him out or they're maligning him and or his supporters. And may I just, and Katie, roll with me on this. Can I just say a word about the Bernie bros? Yes, yes. (laughs) Okay, I am one. Yeah, same here. You know, and it's the same 
kind of tactic that was used against then Senator Obama by the same crew when right. he had the nerve to run for president in 2008. They called them the Obama boys. Yep, That's exactly. Right. The same So people. I want people yep. to remember this. You know, yes, the senator does have some very spirited yeah. and committed followers, but they are no uh, more... Uh, toxic than anybody else's supporters. I mean, what does it mean when supporters come after people like us and they say all manner of things? I mean, you remember that guy that worked for the Daily Coast? Yeah, I'm not so sure they fired him or not. And I can't say what he said, but people can go back and roll the tape. Can you know what that... Anyway, I'm I'm keeping... Really disgusting things about the senator... And like yeah. sexual things and disgusting sexual. things. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Which no one talk and no one's demanded. People are constantly demanding that that the senator um, Bernard condemn anything that's said by any random person that has that's any right. tangential. It could be an anonymous person. It could be a troll. For all we know, it's a fake person. Right. Yes. But no one's demanded that people apologize to you for calling you all sorts of names. No one's demanded that people apologize to Brianna Joy Gray for calling her white adjacent. In fact, if you call her white adjacent on Twitter, you may get quoted by Brian Williams on MSNBC and your Auntie Sanders tweet may be cited by Brian Williams on MSNBC. (laughs) Did that actually happen? Yeah, that actually happened. And I know some people are like, who cares? This is Twitter. But yeah, but this is a narrative. The Bernie Bernard narrative, which is a narrative that's false and has always been false and is even more uh, less backed up now demographically than before. Um, it infiltrates into the actual, not just social media, which is why it's important to push back on it. And which is why if you're going to look, which is what they do at random anecdotal incidents on Twitter to support a narrative, that's why we, we point out, well, what about this harassment and this abuse and this toxic behavior on Twitter that's directed at people like you and countless other people. And others. And we have plenty of receipts on that. Their attempt is to delegitimize his candidacy and his supporters who yeah. are really just really standing strong and they sick of the foolishness. Look, the senator condemns any type of vicious, yeah. vile, hatred, uh, you know, hateful rhetoric. He doesn't stand for that. If anybody is a true supporter of the senator and we follow his lead, you right. know, he doesn't even come after. He just stays on the issues. And that's what right. he wants of his supporters. So, Katie, your point is well taken. Hell, it could be anybody out there perpetrating yeah. to be a supporter of the senator. But you're right. The hypocrisy of it all is so ridiculous. I mean, if you're going to demand apologies, then demand them across the board. Exactly. Exactly. And don't just target one person. And again, the Bernie-crats, by and large, are spirited and they want to see change in this country. Yeah. And they mad as hell. And they don't want to take it anymore right. in terms of what the Democratic Party did to the senator until his tried to do. Because right. you know what? Brother Killer Mike is right. He said this when we were in Atlanta a couple of months ago. He said this to some Sanders supporters. And I want to say this to all the Sanders supporters out there. He said, we already won. Now we're mm. trying to collect our trophy. And <laughs> that is true. And what he meant by that is that every issue that the senator stood boldly for in 2016, in 2020, his position is being animated. The Democratic Party, every debate is about the things that he stood up for in 2016. So we have already won. Now it's time to get the trophy. And the trophy means getting people out to vote. And you know what? In many ways, we are standing up for people who don't even believe in this stuff. And that's the beautiful thing about it. When we get Medicare for all, it's going to be for all people, not just for the people who voted for Senator Sanders. Sanders, College for all, canceling medical debt, canceling student debt. It is for all of the people in this country and not those who support the senator. So I want to shout out because and Matt, the Bernie crest catch so much hell. And I just want to lift them. So any true, okay, we can get 
People can push back. You know, you can be hard on the issues and soft on people. Right. I don't believe you talk about people's mamas, their dogs, their cats. Don't do that. Right. But you Unless can go ham on the issue. Right. Yeah, on the issue. Is the campaign peaking at the right time? I mean, it, it seems like the Sanders campaign went through a lot last year. There was there was stuff internally, like the, the there were problems the, the, the didn't always poll so well. But right now, the campaign seems to be doing really well. It's got it broke fundraising records last last quarter. Uh, what's the mood like inside the campaign right now? And if if Bernie wins a couple of early races, what do you think the reaction is going to be? I mean, it's it's kind of an unknown. We've never really been here in the recent history of the Democratic Party to have this kind of a thing become this close to winning, have we? That is so true. I mean, it's electric. But we're not taking anything for granted. We are excited. I mean, when you combine the traditional poll numbers with some of the things that are happening in this campaign, i.e. 5 million donations. Hello, somebody. About 40,000 of those donations came in on the actual, like, December the 31st. People just out there letting it be known who their candidate is. Our top donors, teachers, baby. What's not the love about that? Yeah. And then people who work for corporations like Amazon, like Walmart, Target, and even the United States Postal Service. Mm. What that says very symbolically, those teachers and those working class people who work for those corporations, what they are saying collectively, their very presence on this campaign is saying that we, the workaday people of this nation, have found our champion, somebody who doesn't capitulate on Medicare for all, somebody who didn't try to cut Social Security, somebody who didn't lead the efforts to, to push through a bankruptcy bill that did not allow working class people to uh, file bankruptcy, somebody who didn't author the crime bill and was proud of it, irregardless, right. somebody who didn't respect Professor, uh, Professor Dr. Anita Hill to this day, who still had ample opportunity to apologize to her many, many years ago. Oh, but she's a black woman, so she don't get the same kind of respect. Don't let me digress. What I am saying, Matt, to your question is that the momentum of the people, the movement is behind the senator. For him, it's not just about winning the presidency. It is what kind of nation will we be even after he wins the presidency? And the way that you change the body politic in this nation is by bringing millions and millions of people into the into the fold. And that is what Senator Bernard Sanders election is doing. No other candidate has this kind of synergy and energy. Did you talk to Senator Sanders about how you the two of you would perform in stump speeches. I mean, I've, I've seen you both on the trail before. Obviously, you complement each other very well, but you must have thought, um, how can I compliment Bernie best? Uh, his presentation is very different from yours. You're very emotional, easy to connect with, very accessible. You know, his is a little bit drier sometimes. Did you think about that? Did you think like, how can I? <laughs> yeah, professorial. That's the word reporters use all the time for, for sure. Him, yeah. yeah. Mad scientist. Absent-minded professor. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Well, my, my class was always, you know, the way I speak, that's how my classes were. <laughs> I, I always excited. No, you know, the senator, he goes deep. And I'm always amazed at how people, they lean on his every word. I mean, even when he's there in those crowds and the senator can go for hours, but people are listening to him because they need that food for their souls. So, no, we didn't coordinate anything, but yeah. I am a student of Senator Bernard Sanders. We are yin and yang. You know, we just go real well together. I bring the fire and the thunder in a very emotional way. And then he brings the fire and the thunder in a different kind of way. 
but it still goes together. And I am just really proud. I'm always proud when I have the opportunity both to be on the stage with the senator and also to travel the country when he's not there, because now it's time to multiply those efforts. So, you know, quite often you got people might not necessarily see me always at the big rallies and the events, but trust that I am somewhere in another state multiplying our efforts to help Senator Bernard Sanders become the 46th president of the United States of America. I really do feel like this is my mission for a time such as this to be a movement leader, the movement leader that I am and have the opportunity to catapult a true people's champion into the White House will be it is one of the highest honors of my life. And I've done many. I've been blessed to do some pretty incredible things. Being mother is uh, top of my list. But this right here will always be in my fave five. And, and I'm doing this. And I know you both know me and you've been watching me. This this comes from my heart. I, I do believe in this. This is not just some fly by night for me. This right. is I want for other people what I want for myself. Right. I want for other families. I want for other families what I want for my family. I want for other people in this, not just this nation, but this world, what I want for us in the United States of America, for people to be able to live a good life and not have to be in the 1% to do it, for people to have clean water, clean food, clean air. I want those things for myself, for my family, for my community, that which I want for other people's family, community, this nation, and dare I say the world. So I am on my mission right now. Something was really beautiful was that I was at the um, rally for the senator in uh, Queens right after his heart attack. And you were one of the speakers and it was so moving. And after the rally, a bunch of us were walking and I heard we heard like a pitter patter, like stomping feet. We turn around. There's this boy. He was probably like, I don't know how old he was, maybe 12. A boy was running, 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 running. And Senator Turner, Senator Turner. And he he stops we, and he's like out of breath. He's like, I love you. He said he said to Senator Turner, he was like a fan. Did you just say? He's a, a big, big fan. fan. Of, of, and he, you know, and then someone else shouted. A little, another person shouted for a kid from their window when you were walking by. I it was, know. You know, you, oh it was God. really a moving to see this little kid who's like 12 years old who saw you as a hero and you talked to him about what he was studying in school. Um yeah, it was really, and of course that was the same rally you you cited LL Cool J, who uh, <laughs> another another, yeah. another Queens, don't call Queens it a comeback. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah gotta get him on years. the campaign. Yeah, has he reached out to you? Yeah. Has he endorsed the campaign yet? Not yet. Not Listen, yet. We got to work on brother LL Cool J. Yeah, we, got I, it, yeah. I, we need him to do that. Yeah, We'd love for him to do that. Absolutely. But we we have Killer Mike though. I know. Yeah. Yes. Uh, but would love to have LL Cool J. What um what do you say about the the narrative of, around the white working class and the narrative around the working class in general, which kind of assumes that they're that it kind of invisibilizes people of color who are in the working class um, and presents the working class people as there's a narrative that I've heard that's basically like oh because there's racism. We can't organize around class, which seems like the exact opposite message. It seems like because there's racism, that's why we have to organize around well, class. Uh, also, what, why are Americans just so bad at talking about class? I mean, yeah, that's another that's right, another yeah. question. That um, yeah, no, that. I mean it's ca- it's cl- it's caste and it's class. The right. two go hand in hand, and you know it is unfortunate that so many people on the left want to weaponize identity. Yeah, you know they really don't give a damn on honestly. the left. Yeah, right. Yeah. You know, that 
the burden of student debt disproportionately impacts African-American women. So therefore, college for all matters to the black community as well as other working class communities. They really don't give a damn. Right. That black maternal rate. Now, they'll say these stats, but they really don't care because if they really cared, then they would be with Senator Sanders. That's just what it is that we need universal health care in this country, because in this country, uh, mothers in general die at higher rates than some of their counterparts in other industrialized nations. But black women die three times the rate. Black babies die at higher rates. And hell, if your baby is old enough to grow up as a black woman, you always got the fear that one day they're going to be gunned down. Hello, somebody. So. These people, they talk a good game, but they're not willing to put the effort into it to make these things real. So when we talk about the class dynamic, everybody that is in the working class is catching hell. But as the senator always reminds us, and he is right on on this, that there are disparities within the disparity. Right. And so as a nation, we must, we cannot abdicate our responsibility to deal with both class and caste. It is real. And on the caste level... African-Americans are catching hell left and right, as we always have since the inception of this nation. That's real. But I want to add to that, Matt, because what you're asking and what you and Katie are going, this is important. The Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., baby. And see, we're about to come up on MLK Day. And you're going to have some of them same tired liberals. Right. They're going to quote them. Right. They're going to talk about how much they loved him. They're not going to tell the truth that he was one of the most hated men while yeah. he was doing the work. And when he stepped out of civil rights and started talking about militarism and the war and he started talking about capitalism and the evils of it, then he was vilified in his lifetime. When machines and computers, profit motives and property rights are considered more important than people, the giant triplets of racism, economic exploitation and militarism are incapable of being conquered. See, right. these same people then won't have the courage to say that that the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. asked us to look at capitalism. Right. He said something is wrong with this system right here. He launched a poor people's movement before he was assassinated. Right. It was a poor people's movement, a rainbow mosaic of black and white and indigenous and brown and every other makeup together. Because because the, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. understood what our senator understands. That in order for us to elevate the workaday people in this country, the poor people in this country, we have to do it together. We have to have a multi-racial, multi-generational coalition of conscious-minded people. That's the only way that it's going to happen. And we can have all of that and still recognize the the caste dynamic to poverty, the caste dynamic to hate. We can do all of those things, but we can't do those things separately. So the folks, these these so-called woke, liberal, liberal left folks, they like to weaponize it because they don't want working class people from all backgrounds to come together because they know once we do, it's over. Right. They want a liberal. They want a a diverse top 10 percent. Come on. They want a rainbow coalition of 10 percent. Talk about it. Right. Instead of a one percent that's straight white male, they want a diverse top 10 and everyone else can go to hell. That's it. All very fine people, though, as the senator would say yeah. on the stage, all yeah. very fine people. But there's a difference. You know, there are lots of fine people in this country. That don't mean they should be president of the United States right. of America. Right, 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 right. The same very fine people who have fundraisers and wine caves with Swarovski right. crystals, right. crystals. The same very fine people who stand up in the living rooms of multimillionaires and billionaires and tell them to their face that nothing is fundamentally going to change for them. I want your listeners and viewers to know that if nothing fundamentally changes for the 1%, 
then nothing fundamentally changes for Big Mama in South Carolina. Nothing fundamentally right. changes for our sisters and brothers in Cleveland, Ohio, or Los Angeles, California, or Las Vegas, Nevada, or Denmark, South Carolina. Nothing fundamentally changes. So we need a champion who says to the corporate interests of this nation, I'm coming for your greed, baby. I'm coming for your <laughs> yeah. greed. That's it. And that's all. And that's what this campaign is all about. So I know that you both can see by my enthusiasm, because this is how I roll every day. I mean, I'm just like this. I wake up saying, yeah, baby, let's get to it. Put all your heart and your soul into this. We will never get a chance quite like this with somebody quite like him who has been on a justice journey and a message as a as both as a student. You know, you can look decade, the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, 2000, roll all the tapes, baby. Senator Bernard Sanders has been on the justice journey for a very long time. So it's hard not to be excited about this because too much is on the line, too much suffering. You know, Matt and Katie, and um, I know we're about to wrap up, but something, you know, I was just in Las Vegas last Friday and I hear stories all over this country, as I'm sure you both do. But I, I met a couple and their daughter. She just turned 18 years old and she has a medical condition, as most people do. We got something. And if we don't have something, uh, we will get something in our lifetime. But their daughter, they shared that their daughter, this one medication to preserve her life, not cosmetic surgery, not, you know, uh, to preserve her life, $1,600 a month. And it was a medication that she needs to metabolize food. $1,600 a month. So when you got all those very fine people up on the stage capitulating and contorting and saying that they don't want to change the system, what about her? Right. You know, what about her? She's 18. And then what about our elders? So the last time I checked, whether you're young or you're a little seasoned, you need medicine. Last time I checked, whether you're young or you're seasoned, you need a healthcare system whereby you can get the healthcare that you need to live a good life. And on and on and on. And that is why Senator Bernard Sanders is the right candidate for a time such as this. I know we got to wrap up, but just really quickly, just to, to uh, talk about that just a little bit the, with the wine caves and all that. You've been involved with our revolution. You've been involved with this campaign. Is the, is the fundamental change the most important one in politics, changing the dynamic of who funds campaigns? It seems like it seems like that's the, the the proof of concept in the Sanders campaign is it's just not powered by corporate money and that's really never happened before. Is that is that an absolute prerequisite to to having a real change going forward, like to cut cutting off that money supply? You hit the nail on the head, Matt. That that is the dragon that we must slay in this country because it's all connected. That the ultra wealthy in this country, they they got lobbyists to do their bidding. They doing just fine. But the worker day people in this nation continue to suffer. You know, I forget uh, what uh, dang, some some um, think tank. They did a, a, a little tweet. They looked and they, I think they went from 2000 and 2009 all the way to 2019. And what they showed was that the top 400 wealthiest families in this country year after year after year, their wealth continued to go up. And I think in 2019, it was it was three trillion dollars, for example. And then they juxtaposition that with. The increase in the federal minimum wage from 2009 to this very moment, $7.25 <laughs> each and every single year. So what are you saying, Sister Turner? I am saying this, that we know now, maybe we didn't know it before, but we clearly understand it now because Senator Sanders set the example in 2016 when he ran for president, raising grassroots dollars that it can be done if elected officials, particularly Democrats. I wish we can get some of our Republican brothers and sisters to join us. And there are some activists on the Republican side who believe that the overwhelming influence on money pollutes 
this system. Yeah. Yeah. But if we can come together and say that we will no longer tolerate elected officials who raise money like that, we want people to raise money with the grassroots, then that way working class people in this country, they get the same kind of voice that the ultra wealthy get. But if we continue to fund money in this corrupt, dysfunctional way, then the oligarchs will all always control the system. And that is what is happening. That is the answer. And listen, as somebody who ran for races and have had the, you know, being called time rooms, I get it. But the great Dr. Maya Angelou, and I'm paraphrasing her once said, you know, uh, it, when you know better, do better. Right. We know better. Like there are no more excuses to raise money that way. We may have had it then, but we don't have it now. And what better office to, to show that it can be done, the highest office in the land, as to run for president of the United States of America. So there's no more excuses. So, yes, Matt, absolutely. We must have real, true campaign finance reform in the United States of America. And that should not be a partisan issue. That is a working people powered issue that we do not allow the oligarchs to buy off politicians. And that's exactly what they're doing systemically. That is what is happening in this country. One really short thing, if, if we may. Um, I, it's so moving to watch you and Sanders uh, speak. And I love that you are, you are a woman who is of faith. Um, and am. you have a very particular kind of um, uh, scriptural background and orientation. And then uh, Sanders is a Jewish secular guy like me. Yes. And yet there's such overlap. Um, and what, what, what is that like for you? I mean, do you see that, the, and there's such a rich history of Jewish black solidarity and organizing that we saw in the civil rights movement. And so it gives, it's, it's always nice to, I, I get very moved when I see you guys talking. What's it like for you? What is this? It, it's, it's both particular and a universal. Um, yeah, and what does it for feel that, like? Katie. Yeah. Yeah. No one has ever asked me that question. And, you know, it really feels good. It goes together and it's really organic. You know, it's not like, as I said, the senator, I don't talk, sit down and say, OK, you say this, right. I'll say that. He has never once told me what to say or what not to say. It's just I am a very spiritual person. You know, my mother was a preacher. And uh, so I spent a great deal of my life. I like to joke and say my siblings and I had to go to church eight days a week. Right. But I, I have that black church experience and it does fit. It just it fits so nicely. And so for me, you know, one of the scriptures I use all the time, you will know the tree by the fruit that it bears. And to me, that is the foundation by which I am able to talk about the senator's record in such a way that it paints a picture whether people are secular or not, whether right. they're Christian, Buddhist, Muslim, atheist, agnostic. It is, I try to pull it in in such a way that people can see it in their mind's eye and feel very comfortable about it. And I'm not afraid. You know, you got these, don't even get me started. You're going to get me talking about white angelical. I'm going to leave it there. You asked me a very positive question. Let's, let's end it on a positive note. I do subscribe to a tradition that believes that you do unto others. Right. As you would have them do unto you. Now, we're, we're human and we're flawed. Sometimes we get it wrong. Sure. But I'm talking about big universal things. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That is the foundational point of this campaign, that everybody should have health care, have it, not have to go bankrupt, that everybody should have clean water, clean food, clean air, not too much to ask. So thank you for, I mean, I must say that was the best question I've ever been asked in a very <laughs> long time. Yeah. Well, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Of it just fits. It's just spiritual. I think this, for me, this whole experience and this campaign is very spiritual. Yeah. And, and I think it's, it's, it's I love that you call it righteous indignation. And it's when people are mad that Sanders yells, I mean, and you guys have different styles, but you're both you both have very justified righteous indignation. And I'm always like, how could you be mad at the people who are mad about the system? 
How are you offended by that more than you are by people dying because of lack of health care? Come on. Yeah. Talk so. about it. No, you know there's a hashtag, Bernie yells for us. Amen. Yeah. And and and, and, and Sister Turner yells for us too, diagonal. You yeah. know, listen, we don't got time to play with it. Too right. much is on the line. Only all that we love is on the line. That's all. Right. So, yeah, I'm going to yell a little bit. I'm glad Senator is yelling too. Yeah. You know, I had a boss, so I hope I could close with this when I worked for the city of Cleveland. And he would always say these words, and I think it's very apropos for this moment. He said, if your hair is on fire, act like your hair is on fire. Yeah. Hello, somebody. Yeah. And that's that's really what this campaign is all about. Baby, our hair is on fire, and we are acting like our hair is on yeah. fire. And we are giving the requisite energy, time, and attention to notifying the world that our hair is on fire. Outstanding. Well, we'll yeah. see you at the yes. convention thank when you, you so after you've won the this nomination. Is so great. Thank you so, so much. Amen to, to that, and, baby. And all the people like you who are working out there, and Rokana and Victoria Dooley, and this, and Jim Zogby, and all these people. You guys are so inspiring. And well, thank, thank you so, you so much, Senator. So really appreciate thank it. Thank you. Yeah. This was a stone cold blast. I hope we get a chance to do it again. Yes, Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Let us know when you're in New York. Oh yeah, when you're vice president. Don't forget about us when you're vice president. Thank you so much, and Happy New Year to you both. And thank you for being among the freedom fighters for a time mm-hmm. such as this really admire both of you and the work that you do thank you thank you so much yeah thank take you. care now bye. bye nina she's Turner. great snt she she uses abbreviations like um what is s oh sister Nina Turner. yeah, right. yeah. W- way better than i do and that's quite I, I like to pride myself on my abbreviations nbd nbd no big deal? No big deal. Thank you. It's no, not fair. I mean, I'm old. You can't do that to me. Yeah. So. IRL. I can't do that. So she... she uh, she's great. Like You can tell. I mean, she's always like that, but you can tell the mood in, within the Sanders campaign. You know, I, I think we were both a little bit plugged into their, their campaign, and um, they're feeling good right yeah. now. Like, you know, they're, they're, there's a lot of, uh, hey, we can actually win this thing. I know. And it's weird. You got, like, Al Sharpton, like, saying that, that he's really, got, you know, how great, how, how committed and honest he is. It's, of course, it's funny. Whenever anyone says something nice about Sanders on uh, MSNBC, you have someone, like, giving major shade. There was this other woman on the panel who was looking at Sharpton like he had just said something about like, her mother. Like she just smelled rotting cheese. Yeah, or yeah. That, yeah. I love that. That's a good MSNBC face. Yeah, it is. Yeah, um, rotting yeah. cheese, resting rotting cheese face. Right. Um, but yeah, so there's that. That's an interesting phenomenon. And I actually asked about this, like on Twitter, what people thought of this new coverage. I mean, is it just so that, is it because he's doing so well that the, the media will be really embarrassed if he does well in, in the upcoming There's a little bit of that. Nobody, nobody wants to own a headline saying that this person can't win like right. three weeks before that happens. Right. And nobody, except for Jennifer Rubin, who, right. wow, is she great. Uh, she's, she, she's, she's going after, uh, we didn't have time to talk about this with the senator, with Nina Turner, but um, she's going after, she's asking why Bernie hasn't been vetted for his health stuff. Yeah, he's been insufficiently vetted, vetted but yeah. even by the Washington even Post, the Washington which has Post. done like literally 10 million stories. I mean, she <laughs> writes a weekly column that's basically anti-Sanders, right. and the Washington Post editorial board got on board, that was not an intended pun, with Rubin about uh, Sanders' health stuff, and it was amazing because the article in the Washington Post, um, or the editorial, said that the headline was about Sanders, and Sanders alone. Yet in the body of the piece, they actually said that Sanders, Biden, and Warren haven't given over a lot of evidence of their health stuff. So they kind of forgot to hide the fact that they're they're totally focusing on Sanders. You know, the the, the coverage of Sanders, I think it's it's pretty tough for anybody. And 
almost everybody who works for a campaign thinks the media is out to get them. Yeah. But I think in in the case of several campaigns, but particularly Bernie's, they haven't they have a real case this year. Uh, yeah. I think there's no question. I, I mean, know. And then you sound like a people who aren't. What's frustrating is people who aren't aware of that. If you say that, you sound like a conspiracy theorist. And it's you're not. You're just actually talking about what's happening. Mm-hmm. And I love you know she's great. Jim Zogby is great. Um, Ro Khanna, um, Carmen Yulene, Cruz, all these people. It's really great because they're obviously not just straight white dudes. And that was such a coordinated smear last time. And now they just can't use that anymore because demographically it's like the least male, least white um, campaign base. Well, base look, of support. Let's. The Sanders campaign did have trouble initially getting traction with minority voters. I mean, that that was not a fake. No, well, meme. it wasn't a fake. But a lot meme, of that had to do the, with, with with name recognition. Right. That it was, wasn't yeah. fake. It was fake in the way it was reported on, which right. was like because of his bad bad takes on race and gender, or because he's like inherently not liked by people of color and women, as opposed to the name recognition issue. I think it's fair to say that that's not Bernie's favorite topic, though. Like he's no, he's, but he's very comfortable talking about certain things, and, and a lot of things are not his favorite. Topic. Well, but as Nina pointed out, um, what's interesting is that so many of these universal programs are programs that do disproportionately benefit, right? You know, people of color and women, LGBTQ people, which doesn't mean you can't talk about it. You do have to talk about it. And uh, it was amazing during that last debate um, when Sanders was asked about race and racism, and he started with the. The climate thing, climate he wanted, you know, and and no one else, by the way, Joe Biden was asked about um, reparations and he pivoted to immigration and that was fine. He didn't get stopped there. Right. But um, when Sanders well, they were said, just glad that he he said anything at all, I think. Well, I mean, did we talk about this? How how um, Chris Cuomo, Fredo, how he said that he was amazed by the fact that he literally said he, he was like, that was the best debate Biden has done. Um, yet, and he was alert the entire time. Right, he he, he, he was alert he the entire time. He didn't literally pass he out in the middle down. of the debate. Sun, is that what's called sundown? Sundowning? I don't know. That yeah. sounds good. And then this was fascinating because David Axelrod, at one point during the the post CNN debate coverage, um, Dave, sorry, it was, a, it was the MS, it was an MSNBC PBS debate, but d- during the CNN coverage of it, Gloria Borger Borger was saying something like, "Well, let's talk about Bernie," and and Axelrod's like. Yeah, I guess we have to. But before that, let me just finish this up. <laughs> then he goes to talk about Bernie, and he goes, you know what, Bernie? I got to say, he's like a Billy Joel concert. You know, you hear the hits of the nine. You're going to hear, it's like going to a Billy Joel concert. You're going to hear the same hits from the 90s and the 2000s, the 80s, and everybody knows the words, and everybody sings along, and they love it. And he says, you know, and Bernie's actually doing well. We forget about Bernie. It was, again, these weird moments of, like, media, I don't know. Well, I, he, Dana Bash, of course, like, could barely contain her. She wanted to throw up. She was like one like, of those vomiting turkey like, vultures. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'd rather, she'd look better. That's not about her looks. I mean, her face, she would look less contemptuous if she just vomited and shat <laughs> like a turkey vulture than she does when she's, like, holding it in. It's really gross. All yeah. right, on that note. Um, on that note yeah, but uh, I want to, yes, Nina Turner's great. Jim Zogby's great. Got, want to give Sanders a shout out for being better on Palestinian stuff than any other candidate, and it's kind of moving for me. 
and I feel a little, I get, I fell a little bit. I get verklempt. Um, you fell a lot. I do, that he's Jewish. And uh, it, it's it's kind of, we'll talk about this on another episode about why, hot take, why it makes sense if you're a lefty Jew to actually really care about Palestinians. That sounds like a two, two, two episode segment. All right. Well, New thanks show. very much for tuning into Useful Idiots. We'll see you next week. Yeah. Michael Toscano, hoping you'll join me on the First Light Podcast. We get to the heart of the event shaping our world as our correspondents check in and we talk with newsmakers and people who can take us behind the headlines. The First Light Podcast, wherever you get podcasts.